0: You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The feed hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and range finders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
1: All right, on the podcast today, I have Todd Havel. In part two, we're going to talk about some of the things Todd has observed and has been trying to do since diving back into bow hunting again a little bit more recently to supplement all of his years of gun hunting it's interesting to see how some of the skill sets he's picked up over the years translate so fluently he is able to tag a nice buck on public land during his first season back in the game last year we talk about how trail cameras can be an excellent tool for tracking patterns year over year on specific bucks how you can pick a nearly guaranteed rut spot i think he made the comment at one point that uh he'd rather have some of the spots he's found over hunting in Iowa. So he'll talk about why and give some examples for that. And also just why there's not much of a substitute at all for putting time in the woods when it comes to really learning an area. Before we jump in, I'll give you guys a quick update from Spartan Forge. For those unfamiliar, it's a deer movement prediction algorithm that's based on machine learning technology from deer collared studies across the country. That means it's able to determine what the general deer is doing in various weather conditions or time of year and not be region specific. Deer respond to different stimuli differently based on what they need to survive. In this episode, we talk about deer in the far northern portion of the Midwest. And that climate dictates that the rut timing and other factors related to temperatures or snowfall could impact their movements differently than deer in a warmer climate, for instance. For a specific deer that might be patternable year after year, timing a known good historical time frame with a good prediction day to make your move can just help push the odds a little bit more in your favor. An app version will be released closer toward the hunting season, along with additional weather and journaling features. That'll come with a price jump, but for those who've joined before then, your price won't change. And you can use the code DIY for additional discount. So I wanna change gears a little bit here. You you started more bow hunting rather than just always doing the, the rifle hunting and the uh, the tracking. Is that something that you used to do a lot more of when you were younger?
2: Yeah. When I was younger, um, our season here ran – well, it still does. It ran from the middle of September until – back then it was December 31st. Um, From probably the age of 15 on, I I could count the number of days throughout those seasons that I missed on one hand. You know, it basically had to be some – catastrophic thing going on before I would miss a day of hunting but you know but thing life happens you know and and the biggest thing that happened in my life was I I started my own uh, log home restoration business and it just it it just um, it it takes every minute of your day uh, all summer long all fall long Um, normally I'm working extremely long days seven days a week all summer long right up until pretty much until November 1st it just the weather turned so bad I can't do anything anymore and I'm trying to scramble to get finished up so um I tried to force myself to stay in bow hunting because I thought it would be good for my sanity but I I just couldn't I mean I I I just couldn't get away from my job um so bow hunting took a a back seat and um I kept buying licenses every year telling myself I was going to hunt but I really wasn't prepared. I really didn't put the legwork in. I I didn't put the, you know, the, the scouting in that I should have or whatever. I even did spring scouting to a certain degree just to try to stay with it, you know. But um, never with my business, I just couldn't get into it. Well, last year I made the decision that it, it's time for me to slow down on my business and get back into doing the things I really love doing. So last year, yeah, last year I made a, a, an effort to really go back into archery hunting uh pretty full bore
1: and how was that first season that you started to get back into it last year
2: um it was good it was it was interesting it was it was quite a learning process because um i had learned a lot about deer behavior from uh from my my northwoods hunting now i'm hunting more central wisconsin so it's a mixture of some big woods and some ag ag land but um uh, I learned a lot about deer behavior in those years that I didn't archery hunt. So going back into archery hunting again, um, I had a little bit more knowledge on my side than I did you know in years previous. Um, the biggest surprise was the hunting pressure I, that and I don't know why it came to me as being such a surprise, but i I learned really quickly that not only did I have to outsmart a big buck that has learned to survive I also have to do it while I'm working around all the other guys that are out there educating those same deer and that in itself is where the challenge really comes Mm you know these deer are being educated constantly by other hunters and um it makes them very hard to you know if if nobody else went in the woods but me I would say it wouldn't be that hard of a task to shoot a four-year-old plus buck every year, because I could, I could play it exactly how I wanted to play it, you know. But with the other people involved, it really changes all the rules. It changes everything drastically, and that was the biggest thing I learned last year was that um, I can do everything right, but I can have it. Everything, all my work destroyed by another guy. Now there's a, there's a guy on my Facebook group. He's a super nice guy. I met him out hunting. We became friends right away. Um, he went way back into the swabs and I came out and it was the second day of season. And he came out and I waited for him kind of, because I, I thought, man, I'm always the last guy out of the woods and this guy ain't out yet. And I was a little bit concerned, you know, so I kind of just took my time, getting my gear put away and everything pretty soon here comes a flashlight, you know? Um, and this guy comes out, you know, and, and he says, I think you were hunting by me. And I laughed at him. I actually laughed at him. I said, I don't think you were hunting where I was hunting. I said, nobody's that dumb. And, and he, I says, where were you hunting? he says, in this island way out in the swamps. So it was like a mile and a half back in. He says, way on the south end of this. I laughed. I said, you were hunting where I was hunting. And he says, I thought I heard you, I I heard you walk out, he said. And I said, no kidding. I says, oh. uh, and, and here's the story. Um, I had a nice, I had a really good buck bed tagged in there and I had everything set up for him. Well, this kid had went in the day before not knowing that that where that buck bed was or that there was a good bed in there, just uh, playing a hunch that, you know, hunting these islands or whatever. He went out, he busted that buck out of the bed and he watched it run across the swamps and he said it had a hell of a rack. and. So he went in the next day, and he thought he was going to try to sneak up, you know, close in there again and set up on him again. Um, and that's the day I met him. Well, the moral of that story is, is had not that had that other kid not gone in there and busted that buck out of the bed the day before, there was a pretty good chance that I would have killed him that second day of season. You know, and and I just wonder how many times that happens to us that we don't even know the story. We don't know that another guy was in there the day before that messed us up. You know what I mean? And, and of course, I don't, I, he didn't do anything wrong. He's doing what I'm doing. We're all, we're both out there trying to shoot a big buck, you know, and he's doing the best he can. I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, and, and uh, matter of fact, I kind of started working with him on it a little bit, you know, talking to him about, you know, if you're going to go back in there or whatever, maybe we can go back in as a team and, you know, and just kind of, kind of fan out that area and just kind of both cover it and, you know, and see if we can't, if we can't get that guy, you know? Right. Um, so I kind of touched base with him a little bit instead of him being, you know, an opponent to me in that game, I was kind of hoping that we could kind of work together a little bit, you know, and kind of keep in touch and we did keep in touch and he's still part of my Facebook group and everything. Um, but yeah, but that's the moral, of that story is, is um, I can do everything right and have another hunter come in and not know that he just messed up all my spring scouting and all my planning, you know, and all my trail camera work and everything that I've done up to that point. And it's not his fault. And I don't hold anybody accountable for it. You know, I mean, I'm not angry, or upset with anybody, but that's how the game is played in, 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 in this kind of scenario. And uh, so I have to learn how to uh, adapt and adjust to that situation a little bit better in the future.
1: Yeah, I always have kind of this paranoia that whatever was the best, any particular spot that I found the last season, somebody's going to find it. And then that's kind of like a motivation for me the following spring of, uh, you know, somebody's going to find that, that great spot. I need to find, you know, three more that are just like it that I can fall back onto. And that was one of the big drivers for all the the scouting that we did this year is just trying to bank as many, you know, potential good spots as possible. Just because, like you said, you just don't know. A guy could be hunting on weekdays. Could be a guy that's retired. Could be a guy that works, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then he hunts the week. Um, You you just, unless you're seeing his sign, and if he's a mobile hunter, he might not be leaving much sign. It might be hard to tell that there's somebody else back there. And like you said, it's just tough to know sometimes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, you know, I I had uh, one guy. I drug my canoe, a kayak, quarter mile across the field, dumped it in a creek, paddled for about an hour upstream to get way back into this one spot. Got out of the kayak, walked the last quarter mile, and I had this tree picked out in this kind of a narrows where I know that I know there was a big buck in there. Matter of fact, I the fifth day of season I had them at 20 yards and I didn't get them. but. Um, I did all this. I got out there, and there was a guy sitting in the very tree that I wanted to hunt out of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you
2: know, can you imagine you drag your kayak a quarter mile, you paddle for an hour, then you get out and you walk another quarter mile by foot. And the, what you, you, I should have bought a lottery ticket because the odds had to be more astronomical than the lottery that the guy would be in the same exact <laughs> tree that I wanted to hunt out of. <sighs> but that's, you know, that's, that's the game. You know, then it start. these things started making sense to me because I had trail cameras back in there and I noticed, I noticed some, some drop-offs at my trail cameras and, and I noticed some, you know, some things happening that were just didn't make sense to me at the time, but, um, those deer were getting disturbed.
1: Right. You know,
2: so those deer would disappear for a while and then, and then they'd come back after things had cooled down and they'd come back again. You know, and I just didn't know that, you know, there was another, another player in the game. You know, and then, then it was like a week later or whatever, I was back in there again. And I knew there was another guy in there because I had a trail camera on the crick and he tripped it at 5 a.m. in the morning, walking up the crick in waders with his full gear on his back, everything. And I thought I was upset, but I, I gave him credit because he's walking in that stream in waders and in the dark. You know, it's like, that's crazy he's dedicated (laughs) yeah so 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 i went in for you know about noonish to go hunt for the rest of the day then and he was actually in one of the other trees that i sat in over there and it's like what's the odds you know and i i went up to him you know i paddled in with my kayak you know and i told him i said well from here i said i gotta empty out because i said there's a there's a blockage in the stream I can't go any further here I said so I said I gotta I gotta empty my canoe here my kayak here and I said I'm going to be as quiet as I can and I said I'm going to go a a different spot where I am not going to bother you I said so you know you're going to be good for the rest of the day if you want to hunt here I said you know you're good you know and I says I'll try to hold off as long as I can in the evening so I know that you're you're done hunting for sure before I come back to the kayak you know and uh, he I think that bug bugged him he, about two o'clock he bugged out of there then because and, and, my trail camera went off again. I got him going back down the stream again. <laughs> <laughs> so um uh, but yeah, but he told me, he says, I'm the only guy that ever comes back here and I told him, I said, Well that's what the other guy told me. <laughs> so that you know, I mean I had two other guys back in there and one one guy didn't even know about the other guy. So um but that's the game you know that's like i said that's the game and you're doing the same thing i'm doing this year i don't i can't even guess how many miles i put on this spring just scouting the heck out of new areas um just laying down as much getting as much knowledge as i can over you know new public areas as much as i possibly can so that i've got a lot more options um i got I I, I kind of really revised my game plan after the first year. The fr- I was successful. I shot a nice ten pointer last year, not a monster, but I shot a nice ten pointer, so I was happy. Um, I think that's a pretty good success for getting right, you know, getting back in it after all these years, getting serious about it. Um, but I had better ones on camera, and I and I puffed an opportunity at that that one big one that on the fifth day of season. That that was my fault. I should have got had that deer, but. Um, so I'm tightening things up. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to work closer to known betting I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get right in. I'm going to take risks. But the reason I'm going to do that is because I'm going to have a lot more opportunities this year. I'm going to have a lot more different places to hunt so I can get a lot more aggressive with each set. And I think that's what it takes. I think in order to beat the pressure, I think you just got to move in closer than everybody else is willing to do it, or, or most guys don't know how to do it. So they're not going to move in that close. Um, and so where they're sitting 50 yards off the, the field or whatever, hoping to, you know, get a buck staging there before dark, I'm going to be another quarter mile back in 60 yards from his bed or 80 yards from his bet or whatever. Yep. Um, and just get very aggressive it, with it because I've got more options because I'll burn that bridge when I do that, and so what? It doesn't matter because I've got, you know, i got 20 more bridges to burn. You know, so, and the other thing I'm going to look at doing this year that, I, that I'm studying a lot on, and that is, um, I talked about it last year, and this year I'm going to actually implement that a little bit. Last year I hunted almost every day, and this year I'm going to hunt when the weather dictates it, when the weather is better. Um, when the weather tells me that deer might be up moving earlier, um, you know, when the, when the weather is telling me that deer should move on this day and, uh, and when the wind conditions are absolutely perfect for spots that I want to get into and then, um, be more systematic about hunting it that way. And then the rest of the days, if I, if I feel the need to be out in the woods, I'm just gonna, I slimline my, my, uh, sling system a little bit more now, right now, my sling and my, and my sticks and everything it takes for me my platform and all I'm I'm at about 10 pounds right now so I can throw that on my back and scout all day so I think on those days if I feel like like going out I'm just going to go do some in-season scouting and if I hit some good sign I'll just pop up my my sticks and my sling and I'll I'll throw a hunt at it you know I got nothing to lose uh, cuz you know I'm I'll be hitting new areas and it doesn't matter
1: right yeah the uh one of the things we're planning on doing is just like you we've we found those spots that are like these are the spots we want to set up on if if a deer is here and there's other areas that aren't necessarily where we'd want to actually set up but they're areas that a deer would still use say after dark or whatnot so if we're not on to something or we don't feel like a deer is starting to use an area yet like we did this a lot last year we'd get there at like 11 in the morning for an afternoon sit and we would just cover some of those areas and just spot check certain areas like, Oh, is there, is there big track showing up here? Um, is there, you know, new rubs showing up on the edge of this clear cut? And if there were, then that would kind of be an indicator of, okay, well now we know that if, if a deer deer is starting to use this area, let's say it's late October and, and he's moved, you know, to where these does are starting to get in heat. And we have maybe even trail camera pictures that we can look back at now and say this buck started daylighting and, at, you know this time in October now we can be like okay we see this sign now we know to go back into that spot that's 60 yards from the bed or whatever and and up until that time we haven't disturbed it at all and it sounds like you're trying to right. you're going to be no, doing something similar you know speaking of rubs
2: this is a really big thing too that I don't hear a lot about I know I, I know guys are doing it or whatever but this is really a big early season key. I don't care where you are. Um, get out and run them transitions during season um, and just scout with your gear and look for the rubs coming out of known bedding areas or suspected bedding areas. And and when you find a rub coming out of a, a known or suspected bedding area, coming up into a good feeding area, throw your stand up and hunt it that night. You're sent you put your scent down there you might as well hunt it right away because after that day it's going to be that spot's going to be burnt for about a week anyway though if it's a good buck you'll know you were there so why not hunt it right away why not just throw your throw your gear on your back and go and just walk transition lines and when you find those good rubs throw up a stand right away and hunt it in the earlier season the better because a lot of this a lot of these um you know of course these in Wisconsin, our season opens about the middle of the month. And, and these bucks just came out of velvet a week and a half earlier. So if they left those rubs, since they went hard horned, they're probably still on that same pattern.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Early season. The rubs are obviously days old at that point. And so if they're still that pattern, why I not? Honest,
2: I honestly think that if you didn't do any preseason scouting or anything, And you just threw your gear on your back and you started walking transition lines for mile after mile after mile mile until you hit some good sign on a transition line and just threw up your stand right on that trail. um, You would have a great deal of success. Matter of fact, that that buck that I knew about him because I had trail camera pictures. The one I had to up by me the, the fifth day of season, I knew him because I had him on trail camera pictures and stuff, and I knew, you know, I knew quite a bit about them because of all the research I did. But honestly, the reason I, I got a shot at that deer really had nothing to do with any of my pre stuff that I did. What happened was, is I walked that creek for about a quarter mile on a day when the wind was in my favor, where it wasn't blowing into bedding, which was the day before I hunted them, and I got to one spot, and there was a whole bunch of big rubs there. And I immediately went. I should have. Well, I would have hunted it that night, but where I wanted, how I wanted to set it, the wind wasn't good for me there. So I thought I'm gonna back out of here now, and I'm gonna come when the wind is good. The next day, the wind was right for me. I went back in there, and right at last light, right at, right, right at closing, he crossed right 20 yards. He come in the creek, and he was crossing the creek right there. And he, I goofed up on him, but I had him at 20 yards standing right there broadside the biggest buck I had on film last year and (laughs) and I didn't you know and it was my fault but but the idea there is is if I know nothing about that deer that he existed or anything if I just would have did what I did and walked that transition in that case it was a crick found those rubs and set up on it I could have been just as successful as all that work I did pre-work you know if I just would have just went by the sign that I found during open season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty much what we have to do when we go to like North Dakota in their early season. The The big difference is a lot of those deer haven't shed their velvet yet at that time, but you're still looking for the same type of things where you haven't been running cameras. You're just going into suspected bedding areas and suspected food sources and just checking for that super fresh sign. And that's it works really well out there as provided that you know you're not hunting the same stuff as other people are hunting which is becoming more and more of a thing
2: Yeah, i imagine i was out there once and i i keyed on the water holes um at the beginning of season but of course that year i was out there was a long time ago and it was like in the 90s every day so they were really keying on water hard
1: yeah yeah it's a fun state to hunt and and last year last year in wisconsin we we really struggled early season because we didn't figure out what the deer were doing until mid-october we started to figure it out and then we we're getting on on deer pretty regular but um hopefully this yeah. this spring we're able to take some of those those cues and you know get on to deer even earlier than we were last year
2: kind of jump and ship back to our last topic uh of... These these bucks up in in uh, I don't care if it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, anywhere in the north that I've tracked those deer, they're so patternable. People I use I hear this term a lot and I kind of chuckle. Big big bucks in the northwoods are nomadic. I hear that term nomadic, and that is so far from the truth. It's not even funny. Those and the older they get and the bigger they get up in that country, the the term nomadic doesn't doesn't even fit or apply at all. Those deer are doing everything for a reason on purpose, at a select time, and they do it the same time year after year after year, they're extremely patternable, extremely patternable. You know, it's just that we don't understand or know enough about how they work or what you know what they do or how they live. So that's the best way people they so they just guess and they say, Well, they're nomadic, they just they're over here and they're over there. But, but there's no There's no, um, er, those big bucks have a purpose for everything they do. Um, So if they are here, they're here for a reason. And if they're not here anymore, they're not here for a reason, you know? um, And wherever they went, they went there for a reason. So they're not nomadic. Nomadic implies that they just kind of float around and drift around and they just end up where they end up for that day, you know? And that couldn't be further from the truth. and that's one of the, the keys to that to that north country hunting is, is to just try to learn these individual bucks. And, and one buck will, will be in an area and he'll use certain trails and he'll be certain places at certain times and he dies. And you go there and you try to hunt that same buck the same way, but the next buck doesn't use his pattern. And so, you just don't have any luck Well, you got to find out if there is another good buck in that area and what he's doing and then you have to hunt him accordingly and each buck is individual and they have their own patterns Um, there was a study done up in the clam lake area by some university in the 1970s sometime they radio collared deer and and the gist of the whole study came down to every deer is different but every deer has a pattern and he holds that pattern until he dies
1: yeah definitely seems believable based on what i've seen
2: well this is done with a radio collar study so it's there's no guesswork involved there you know like he gave some examples. I had the article and I clipped it out and I put it in a file cabinet and I, I can't find it to this day. I don't know what happened to that article, but, and I have never been able to figure out who did that study. I'd like to find that again sometime, But, um, but he gave examples, like he said, if this buck moved from here 10 miles over to winter and he did it at this time of the year and it took him five days to travel the 10 miles, that's what he would do every year. He said the next deer might go to that same wintering area, but he might go the whole 10 miles in one day. And then the next year, when it came time to go to the wintering area, he'd go the whole 10 miles in one day again. You know, it, and, and when they came back in the spring, they came back at the same date and they came back to the same place. Um, they're extremely patternable, you know. Um, they learn food sources. They learn, you know, they, they check where the does are or whatever. Um, and the northwoods doesn't change as much as um, other, other types of, of hunting that you have. So the patterns hold a lot truer for a lot longer. You might get a clear cut that might change movement a little bit um, for a while. Uh, maybe no, deer numbers change that might change things a little bit. But usually food sources sources stay the same. And the situations stay pretty much the same. You know, things change slowly up in the North Woods. Um, give you an example. I, I found a spot. I just don't like sitting all that much. Uh, but every deer I would track in this one area, they always ended up going through this one spot, this one little valley. And I kept noting that it's like I gotta sit here sometime because every big buck that comes that I follow ends up going through this valley here, at one point or time or another. And Then that one year I told myself, you know, this year I'm going to pick three days and I'm just going to sit it from dark to dark for three days. And I'm going to watch that crossing and just see what happens. Because I had too many bucks go through there over the years. I'm just going to sit it this year. I'm just going to dedicate myself to sitting there. So I got my gear ready and I hiked back in there to hunt it. I got back there and they clear cut it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, oh no, this is, it was probably... The best hunting spot I may have ever found in my life. It was amazing. I, I remember one track I took. I started two miles away, and that buck was heading in that direction. And I got about halfway there, and I started wondering, I wonder if he's going to go through that spot. And sure as shit, he went through that spot. And I, I started him two miles away from there. You know, it was just something about, I don't know what it was. I don't know why, but they all wanted to cross there. So anyway, years go by, I don't know, about five, six years go by or whatever. And one day I just, I'm going to go back and I'm going to check. We had a little snow on the ground. I'm going to go back and I'm going to check that crossing, even though that was cut out of there and things were growing up and they're pretty thick already, whatever. So I walk, I actually found my way in from the back way where they actually came in to log it. And, um, It's remote, even for where they logged it, they got it burned off and everything. Unless you know how to find it, it's a half a mile and you got to know how to find it. Um, uh, So I I went back in there and I got up on this big rise on that clear cut and I sat there and I I did some grunting to see if I could pull anything out anywhere. And I stood there for about 20 minutes and nothing showed up. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to drop down in the valley where them bucks always crossed in the past and just see if there's any tracks in there or anything. And guess what I found when I got down in the bottom of that valley, one big buck track coming through there, (laughs) you know? So even after the, even after the cutting that they did or whatever, it still hadn't changed those deer wanting to come through there. So I imagine, I would imagine that if a guy would go back there now and, and sit on that hill where I first walked in there that the last time I was in there and uh, you might need a climber now. You know, I mean, might need to get up 10 feet to see over the, the trees that are growing in there now. But if if you sat there, you know, if you're religiously every day, you'd probably shoot yourself a pretty good buck eventually coming through that bottleneck at some point. Yeah. But, they're, but they hold them patterns. They hold, you know, they, they, they do the same things.
1: Yeah, I've heard that in actually several... I've heard similar stories from several people who've monitored with trail camera, um, different deer, like year after year. And they'll note that like the same particular bucks will, will show up like within, you know, a day or two of when they like would show up every year in a certain area. Um, and that oftentimes they are able to use that pretty close to your advantage to like where you, you know, you mentioned earlier, just kind of trying to pick the right, the right day, when the conditions are right to, to go and make your sit. And it was like, we got pictures of deer last year that were great bucks. Even last year, this year, if they're still alive, they're going to be really great bucks. And they would show up on certain cameras in daylight on certain time frames. And it's like, man, if, if we just wait for the right conditions around that same, that same exact time frame when those deer started showing up in those areas for whatever reason, you know, if, if a doe went into heat in that area or whatnot, like that, Putting that together probably could work out pretty well, I would imagine. Yeah, I would be
2: if I knew about a situation like that and I had the time. I'd be in there right. I'd sit there for two, three, four days in a row, right at that time period, that time frame, and and good. Uh, there's a really good chance that you'd get a shot at him. You know, he's if he happens to move during the light of day. You know, if you're lucky enough to get him, catch it moving during the light of day. Um, they're They're patternable and they're, 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 there's, I call them rut circuits or, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they know their way. Um, you know, if a deer is going to go from here and he's going to go to that clear cut that's four miles away, he already knows how he's going to get to that clear cut. Just like you do. If I told you, Hey, why don't you drive down to Walmart tonight? You already know in your mind before you even leave the house, which trail you're going to take, what roads you're going to take to get to Walmart. Right, And you don't even think about it. You don't think, well, geez, when I get in my car, I'm going to have to go down first street and make a left. You just know I'm, you don't even think about it. You just go there. And that's what these bucks do. They go and they go the same way they went every other time. And if they're going to a clear cut from one clear cut to the next and they're four miles, four miles away, he's going to take the same path he did last time. And the last hundred times that he did that, you know, they just, they just do that. I was chasing one up in Minnesota. He was a brute Geez, he was a big buck. He was the only buck that would come across the road in this one spot. So he was so easy to pick out always. Um, He's the only deer that ever crossed the road there. And he was a monster. And he would pile down in through this nasty stuff. And that was one of those cases where he would go through nasty stuff. And when the first time I took him through there, I was like, why is he doing this? This is crazy. Well, he went down through this nasty stuff, popped out on a swamp edge, turned, follow the swamp edge for like a half a mile, and then cut out across the swamp to the only dry spot where he could cross the creek without having to to really work hard. He could walk right up to the creek and just jump right across it. And he he would cross there every time. If he crossed the road where I seen him, I already knew where he was gonna cross the creek a half a mile away. And every time I took that deer, he did the same exact pattern and I never caught up with him. I never, I never caught up with him. So I never got him, but, but he was a brute. And in one year I kept checking that crossing and he just never showed up again. So I'm sure he was done. You know, I'm sure he was gone. Right. But for three years, I think it was, I, I would check that crossing. Cause I know he was coming through there. I had a, I had a good friend up there that liked to sit all the time. And I told him, I said, it's. It's maybe a long shot, but I said, as far as putting a trophy deer on the ground, which he has never done, I said, if it was me, I would go and hang my stand. I'll take you in there. I take your climber with you, and I'll show you where to sit and I'll tell you where, I'll show you exactly where he crosses. And I said I would come in here every day before it got light, and I would sit here until it got dark every day for seven days and then or whatever he was going to stay up there in Minnesota and hunt. And just sit and watch that crossing every day and either you go home with the biggest buck you might ever shoot in your entire life or you go home broke, you know. Um, And to me, that's the name of the game. You know, I don't want to go home with a six-pointer. But he didn't want to do it. I think it was too far in for him and I don't think he liked getting off the road that far or something. You think that bothered him? I know he didn't like getting off the road a long way, but he never did hunt that. And I never did either just simply because I like tracking and deer and I always, you know, I like moving around a lot. So, uh, you know, if, if somebody that really loves sitting would have followed me around for years, they would have probably shot an awful lot of big bucks off <laughs> of <up, laughs> the spots that I could have put them in, you know, and just said, hey, just, just park your butt here for seven days, you know?
1: Right. Well, especially in a state like Wisconsin where the you got, uh, you know, some of that rut travel, maybe that buck's doing that circuit when it's still archery season and you know, tracking doesn't work you know quite as well with a bow as it does with a gun. That could work pretty well in that type right. of scenario.
2: I mean, I could see that, you know, that, and, and that's where, see, that's where tracking comes back into to being such a big thing. Um, you learn more about buck behavior by tracking than you do, than you're going to gain by actually shooting deer. You learn so much about deer. It's, it's incredible. Um, and then you also learn all these spots, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Troy Spooner, he's a good friend of mine from Michigan, and he shot an awful lot of big bucks and a lot of big woods bucks. Um, And he was uh, playing around with trail cameras back in central Michigan over there, and he's he's getting some big bucks on trail cameras, and how he found the spot to place those trail cameras is he was tracking deer. And this spot has no indication whatsoever as to why those deer should cross there. It, there's nothing there when you look at maps. There's nothing there when you stand in the woods and look around. He said there's no really logical reason why that, why those bucks are coming through here, but they always want to come through here. So he said I started trying hanging a trail camera here because he said every time I chased deer, they would come through here. You know, and then he was getting a lot of good good buck pictures on that trail camera. Um, you know. What bigger advantage could you have, you, you, walk, into if you, uh, you walk into a piece of woods, a 100,000 acres, and you look around, and you're in awe, and you're like confused, where do I go? What do, how do I hunt? What do I do? If I could take you to a tree and say, put your, tree, you put your climber here and only hunt it on a west wind, and start hunting here the, the 24th of October, and probably by November 1st, you'll have the trophy of a lifetime on the ground. You know I mean what this is a cra- I'm going to make a crazy statement if the, if the deer population up north was what it should, if the age structure is what it should or what it used to be in the past, killing a trophy deer, and when I say trophy up there, I'm not talking score, I'm talking age, like one that's five, six, seven years old. If you do what I'm saying, you'd have a better chance of doing that than you would have probably shooting one in Iowa. I know that's a pretty bold statement. But when you know a buck's pattern and you know he comes through and he always crosses here every time through, what you can't get much more better of an opportunity. You know, what? what better opportunity can you have than to know exactly, intimately, where that buck is going to walk?
1: Right, right, yeah. yeah. The only the only thing you need to to hope for is that he does it during daylight instead of at night, and you just it's just a matter of putting the time in at that point.
2: Right, yeah. It's like I always say, your odds suck, and and when you do everything right, they still suck, but they're a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and that's what makes it fun. I mean, if you went out and shot a 180 class every day, it would be fun for the first week, but after that, you'd start saying 8, 180s aren't worth it, I'm going to hold out for a 200,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? I mean, it is, it, it, it's based upon what makes it a challenge for you, you know? Um, and like I said, the big woods, uh, if you do things right, there's, there's, it, it's, it's sure of a thing, a gimme as you can get when it comes to deer hunting, you know, to know exactly where that deer crosses, you know how to come in because you know, he will never cross your path. You know that he'll never wind you then. You can repeatedly hunt that same stand every day after day after day. If the wind is in your favor and you approach that sand site right when you know how he comes through there, you you can you can't overhunt the spot. You know. And it's just a matter of it's just a matter, like you say, catching a break, having him get up, decide that hey, I'm gonna move today during the light of day. In the case like that one I was telling you about where he was crossing that swamp, that crick over there, that was so far back in, there was nobody ever hunting back in there. You know, that deer felt totally comfortable walking there during the light of day. You know, I can't see him being one bit afraid to walk there during the light of day. And when you put the and when you connect the dots, and again, when you're looking at these big woods areas, you can't look at you can't send me a map of of, of a 40 that you want to hunt up there and say, Hey Todd, is this a good spot to hunt? I don't know, because what's what's within three miles of it all the way around? Because that's what matters. You know, that buck was coming from one older slashing, and he was going about two miles to a newer clear cut. And the only way through was to cross that river in that one spot, and that's he, he knew that, and, and that's how he was getting to that other clear
1: cut. Yeah, definitely. When you, when you put it in a context like that and you're able to pinpoint such a precise travel location that year after year you've learned the deer's going to do that thing, he's going to go through that spot, and based on the pressure he's likely to go through it during daylight hours, all you got to do is, you know, be smart about your entry and, and set up, set up smart and put your time in, then it, that's probably, it's like, it's tough to get a better, better confidence level going into a hunt than when you got all of those things working for you.
2: Right. You know, in all these years, I never run trail cameras. I was never a trail camera guy and I bought a dozen cameras last year and I was having a lot of fun with them, but I'm going to I'm trying and it's just not working out for me. The numbers are so bad up north and I'm I'm having a hard time getting history on deer the last 3-4 years. But I want to get some history on some deer up there and I want to throw these trail cameras in and I want to document that he's coming through in a rhythmic pattern at certain times over like a 3-year period or something, you know? Um, and I like I know that happens, but I would like to document it so that I can show people that I'm not just talking with this stuff, that it actually happens. I've got, you know, I got um, camera evidence that what I'm saying really happens again and again and again. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't have to convince myself because I see it every day, every year, year after year after year. I've seen these patterns developing up there. Um, but I know that when I'm teaching other people, Nothing catches your interest like being able to say, hey, this is what happens, and then throw three years' worth of trail camera photos down and say, look at, you know, look at them here, look at them this year, look at look at the date, look at the date, look at the date, you know? Right. And then that jogs people, That you know, that gets them, gets them fired up on it, I think, a little bit. It's more of a, you know, a visual learning aid.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, photo, photo and video evidence always always uh, always really helps make the point and drive home.
2: yeah, and you know, and I, and it's like I don't really know, feel the need to prove it or anything because I already know it, you know I mean I don't I don't but I know as from a learning standpoint, it's you could say, well, yeah, look at it, and you know, look how this is, look at what he's doing here every year. Yeah, And unfortunately, like I said, the, the age class has gotten so bad up North all over that. It's just, it's hard to get intimate with a certain buck anymore. It's just the, the, it's just tough. The last one I attempted was up in Minnesota and I chased him and I, and I'm telling you, um, I had him in my crosshairs <laughs> and I didn't get it. I, I just couldn't get a good shot at him. And I chased him all season. Um, and I was on him many times, and I just couldn't make it happen. And then I went up and I put cameras on his routes because I had his routes down. You know, I knew a lot of where he went, and I and I wanted to get that visual evidence. And he was he's gone. He wasn't there the next year, so that was kind of unfortunate, you know, because I had a lot of history on that deer from one season, and I knew his routes quite well because I was on him so many times. Um, and I actually. Well, I can't say I should have had him, but I was close. I was so close. Um, but and then he he died, you know. And that's the last buck I really kind of gotten intimate with up up north anywhere. So it's it's kind of unfortunate, you know. Otherwise, I'd like to get the cameras out on these trails, and I'd like to be able to start, you know, putting together two or three years on these bucks. And it would be fun for me to actually see these these bucks on camera because you know, you get a glimpse at them when you see them going or something, but to, you know, to get the pictures is kind of cool. And I've, I've never done that because I've never run trail camp. So I'm hoping someday that, you know, things line up where I can actually get a, do a better job of that I'd like to put some, you know, put together a a hunting video on uh, how to hunt the big woods, but I'd like to, you know, I'd like to get some of that stuff for that too. Right. Um, So I'd have some stuff to, you know, to, to teach with, but that's going very slow. So I won't put, I won't put anything out unless it's good quality stuff. So it it may never even happen. ever. I don't know. You know, the best learning you might get from me might be from these podcasts, I guess. I don't know. We'll we'll see what time will tell, I guess.
1: You know, even, even these podcasts, I mean, it makes, it's a a format that really helps you dive in and, and ask questions that, you just don't get answers to a lot of other formats. Like even when I'm making a YouTube video, I try to keep things nice and condensed, but when you're able to just sit down with a guy and and talk and, and you know, conversation leads from one place to the next, you can really dive in pretty deeply into some good examples and some good, um, experiences that you you just don't get with, with other formats. So I think even like today's, today's recording, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff I've learned just talking to you today.
2: And and one thing I would like to stress too, and that is is nothing nothing can beat actual time in the woods. Um and so, you know, the guys that are listening to this, that's good and they're gonna learn from it or whatever, but their their true learning is really gonna come when they get in the woods. You know, you gotta get out there, you gotta put the hours in. I'm I'm fifty gonna be fifty nine this fall and this spring I was out wearing my legs out out in the swamps in, in southern Wisconsin or central Wisconsin learning as many spots as I possibly could for this fall coming up you know I mean there's nothing I I have to you have to keep going you have to keep looking you have to keep learning um like I said um my mantra for this for this year is is the scent the sign doesn't lie the sign doesn't lie Learn to read the sign. Get out there and learn, 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 learn. You know, the the woods is telling a tale. Get out there and learn, learn as much as you can. Learn about behavior. I can remember when I was younger and I was learning and I was trying to absorb as much information as I could. and, And these guys, young guys now will never know the struggles of me when I was young. There was sporting magazines out there that had articles that were basically written based upon deer that were more I'm not going to say tame but were more um unpressured and these guys they, and they were experts in their field and they knew what they were talking about but um when I learned as much as I could and I took that information to the woods my deer weren't doing what their deer were doing and it was confusing to me and it was like I wanted to write a memo and leave it in the woods and tell my deer hey you're not acting like you're supposed to <laughs> You know, this guy in the magazine said you're supposed to do this and you're not doing this, you know. Um, but what I've come to learn is is that they didn't have it all figured out either. And when a deer does something, it's not wrong. He's doing it for a reason, and it's right. And it And even though it might go against conventional wisdom, there's a reason for it. So when you see something in the woods, I don't care if it's sign or if the actual deer or whatever, make note of it, pay attention to it and remember it because it happened for a reason. Nothing happens by chance and learn from it, you know, and and I don't know what bit of knowledge is going to make you put another deer on the wall. You know, I, I can tell you that over the years, I've got a lot of deer on the wall, but I can tell you that most guys seem to have some kind of a go-to method that they use to kill their, their deer. And they've learned that over the years and they use it over and over again in certain situations and they're very successful. My, my technique for taking trophy deer over the years has been one of being an opportunist. I took one this way with this method and one way this way with this method. And I took one this way with this method. And it was because I watch for opportunity. You know, I, I kiddingly tell people sometimes I'm hunting for dumb deer, you know, I'm looking for a dumb deer to hunt. You know, and in a way, that's kind of true. I'm I'm always open to looking for another possibility where a deer's making a mistake and then try to capitalize on it. You know, and that kind of came back from my dad. My dad taught me years ago when I was just a pup. He, he taught me, he says, um, when you have success, don't just get excited about that you had success. Like he was a fox trapper. And... Don't be don't be excited that you caught a fox. But he says, stop and analyze what you did different on that set. What happened differently than the, all the other sets you had? Why did I catch a fox here? What happened different here? You know, and that stuck with me my whole life. And I use that when I'm fishing or hunting or anything. It's it's why did that deer do that? Why is this sign here? Why did he rub this tree instead of that one over there? And most of the time I don't have answers for those questions, but sometimes I do. But the fact that I'm asking asking those questions opens me up to learning all the time. You know, and, and you never you're never gonna know it all. And so you just keep you keep out there and you keep asking the questions and you keep learning a little at a time. And and if your deer aren't doing what the magazines told them that they're supposed to do, well, there's a reason for it. So you just gotta look at it and say, well, why did why is my deer doing this? You know, and there's a reason for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great, great words of advice there. Spend time in the woods. That'll be your, your best teacher. And that's a good way to bring it kind of full circle with what we, you know, started with about putting a lot of time in the woods this spring, um, you know, both you and I to, to try and learn as much as we can.
2: I'm accessible. If somebody wants to talk or whatever, I, I'm, as they could probably tell by my podcast, I like to talk. So, um, I'm accessible. Uh, I've got my Facebook group, uh, Misty river trackers base camp. Um, it's not the page. It's the group. Look for the group. Um, I try to keep up with all my activities on there more than anywhere else. Um, I used to be a lot more active on the hunting beast. Um, and I'm not anymore. I, I got other things going on or whatever. Um, and I'm, but my handle is magic man, five, four, four, nine, four. Um, there's a lot of stuff if you want to look through history on a lot of stuff that I, I uh commented on or whatever over there or wrote about. Um, and I could be I could be reached by phone. I, I'm sure that I think on Facebook you guys can get a hold of me or you can message me or whatever the case may be. So if you guys anybody's got questions or want more details or whatever, um, you know, by all means, probably the best way to do it so that more people can learn would be to go on my Facebook group and then just ask a question on there, you know, join the group and then just ask a question on there and then everybody can listen to the comments that, you know, kind of learn from it that way. But I'm trying to help. I guess I I reached a point in my life where I kind of feel it's time to give back, you know, instead of just taking from the the land I want to give back. And and, uh, so I'm willing to share, you know, Whatever I can to help people, other guys be more successful.
1: Excellent. Well, yeah, I, I definitely follow the the group, and you post a lot of good stuff on there. A lot of day by day little, I guess, kind of video updates about what you're seeing, and and that's a, definitely a great way for for people to to chime in and learn. And, and like you said, you know, just being able to to be accessible, I think that's. I, I would definitely you know throw in my my two cents to to guide people who might be you know, looking for some good info to, to definitely reach out to you, so.
2: I, I do have a YouTube page, too, and it's Misty River Trackers, too, and you can look over there, and there's a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of video. I try to get as much of my video stuff as I can over there. There's a lot of little snippet learning things, and there's some longer, longer, you know, hours worth of stuff over there, so um, if anybody wants to kind of, you know, pound into there and go through all that, um, they can a lot of video there too if they want to watch that they can see some of the stuff I have over there too
1: great yeah I'll have to check that out because I don't think I've been watching your YouTube channel too much but mostly on the Facebook side of things but I'll I'll definitely set aside some time and, and go through that as well alright well appreciate you taking the time out of your day once again to, to jump on the podcast and, and share some of your experience
2: no problem I enjoyed it
1: yep Keep... I
2: enjoyed your question, and your questions were very good. I like you're very thorough and very well thought out, so that's always nice when when you have nice questions to answer. That really brings out a lot of information for the people. So,
1: yeah, I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, you bet, and good luck at, uh, when you're Northwoods hunting. I'm I'm interested to see. I know I know you know what you're doing, so I know it's a matter of time before you start really having really good success up there, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about how you, got, how you do up there and what you're finding and what you're learning. I know you've been running some trail cameras and stuff, too, and I haven't run any trails in the Northwoods yet. So, I, you know, um, it'd be fun to hear what you have to say, too. I'd, you know, it'd be fun to keep up on your input on that whole situation because I know I can learn from that, too.
1: Yeah, I'll send you stuff as, as I learn it, for sure. Sounds good. All right, you have a, have a good night. We'll talk to you later. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.